Taxis, what are they all about? <laughs> oh, my God, I'm stuck on, I'm stuck on the, the old Mars there. It's when you sit on your partner's chest and twist their nipples in different directions, hoping to draw a picture on their face. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard, Leopard, Leopard. Welcome to Beware of the Leopard, a podcast as full of interesting people and information as a pomegranate is of pips. I'm Mark Stedman, and I'm not panicking. This is just the culture shock. I'm John Bounds, and we don't want to be happy. We want to be famous. And there's no point acting surprised about it. I'm Danny Smith. Our poll to cast Eddie the shipboard computer ended in a tie, so there's still time to get your tweets in to help us decide who, out of Sarah, Mi- Sarah Milligan, Stephanie Cole, or Ringo Starr, is to play the character. So tweet uh, with the hashtag Stephanie, Ringo, or Sarah to BTL Podcast, and we will make a decision in the coming week slash weeks. But for now, this... Mrs. Enid Capelson is an elderly resident of Boston, Massachusetts, who, while on a flight one day, flipped up the shutter to see Arthur and Fenchurch checking in on a one-way trip to Bonetown, uh, only several thousand feet in the air. John, what's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you on a flight? Not a lot, really. I was thinking, I mean, I, I could do an easy joke about how um, I once got uh, on Ryanair without having to pay to go for a crap or whatever, but... Most things happen because it's a controlled environment. Most things happen on a flight are actually quite controlled, aren't they? They're from a limited palace of things that could happen to you. I mean, I've got a story about when I was uh, on a flight from uh, Paris to um, New York, and um, the person in front of me um, said, do you, "Do you mind if I put the seat back?" And I said, "Could you just hang on for half an hour? I've got to do a little bit of work. It's an eight-hour flight. I've got to do a little bit of work and do a bit of writing." You just hang on for half an hour, then then go for your life. She said yes, and then I just got my laptop out, and the seat went straight back, and my laptop smacked me on the head. But apart from, and I was too uh, British to say anything. Um, we had did, a deal. Yeah, I did write a very uh, a good um, article. I thought actually, but it was probably a lack of oxygen, both in the smack on the head. And the the altitude, <laughs> but um, so lots of weird things have happened to me before flights. Lots of weird things happen to me after flights, but very few things have happened to me during flights. Danny, weird things happen to you every, all the time. Has anything weird happened to you on a flight? Well, I had a, pretty much exactly the same situation. Um, it was, uh, it was. I don't know what airline it was, but the the, the seats were particularly cramped, and that's all I, of I them, mate. I, no, these, this one was particularly cramped, and I kind of read online. It was kind of part of the culture that you don't put your seat back. If you fly this airline, it's kind of just a uh, oh, it's it one of them, yeah. Unspoken rule that you don't put your seat back, and um, this person, uh, this this a lady, as it happens, uh, a, a middle aged lady, turned around and looked at me, and then put her seat back. <laughs> <laughs> Does it look to you to size you up to see if you'd cause trouble? Yeah, I don't know what she what what she saw in me that thought right. I love this fucker, so I was like. Bitch. <laughs> So I know it's petty, but she had her scarf that was a little bit poking out between the seats. Mm. So over the course of an eight-hour flight, I slowly pulled the scarf (laughs) from her chair ever so gradually. Every time she moved a little bit more, a little bit more, until finally I had it and stuffed it in the seat pocket in front of me. Fuck her and fuck her scarf. I've seen about the sort of uh, weird things that happen, and... uh... I once got really told off by a, an, uh, as you called them, Dan Skywaiter, an air steward, um, 
I'd been uh, away uh, with a football team, but there's lots of us. My dad was also on the the tour. He's a he's a nice chap. Um, he is. And uh, but most of the people, I was perfectly sober. Most people on the tour have a, had a little bit to drink. We're coming back. This story already sounds like a lie, John. How are you sober and everyone else drunk? I'm just hard, I guess. But um, <laughs> but. Uh, but basically, I I was normal. I was, but but, I, but my dad was a bit confused. about how to put like the overhead heater on. It's not a heater, is it? But you know what I mean. The, the blowy thing. The blower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he was talking about that, and I just said, "Dad, hang on five minutes. I'll sort it out for you." I was sitting behind him, and the uh, and the air steward uh, came up, and he was going, "If you have five minutes to listen to our safety announcement, it's very important." And I said. Uh, well, actually, I'm, I was attending to the needs of my elderly father. <laughs> <laughs> He's confused. Yeah. <laughs> He's disorientated. He's only in his early 60s. He was fucking pissed, though. Uh, so we've covered conservation a bit over the last few weeks. So now let's do it for real. The Enviroform is a piece of Grebulon technology that we know little about, but we can assume it makes organic matter. Um, it makes organic matter. Mm. Um, given uh, we're now in the age of lab-grown meat and gene pool spelunking, Danny, when do you think humanity will get into terraforming? And would it just be an off-world science, or could we use it? Could we make use of it on Earth? <laughs> well, uh, you asked the wrong person for this. Uh, when will we do it? Uh, not soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I genuinely and wholeheartedly believe that we are doomed. Okay. Um, Yes, cool. There, there is a reason why uh, a huge proportion of the climate change scientists have quit their job and gone to live on an inflatable raft growing carrots. Well, uh, that was Bill of the Leopard. Thank you very much for listening. And, uh, <laughs> please turn I'm off so, the lights. I'm sorry, I can't, put, I can't put a positive. Yeah, I think everything's going to be fine. Somebody will bring, <laughs> make some wind farms and we'll all live in a commune. I'll come, I'll come, I'll, I'll, I'll reassure you in a moment, but okay. um, essentially terraforming on Earth is just landscape gardening, right? <laughs> so we do have that. But I guess the part of terraforming is actually making stuff that you can grow stuff in. Because, you know, you've got to go to... If, you, if you're going to go to the moon, you're going to colonise the moon, um, You've you, if you're going to terraform it, you've first got to... I don't know if it's part of the terraforming process, but you've got to find a way to bung a load of dirt on the ground so that you can then grow some stuff in it. And no, I, well, the first part of terraforming is actually like... Um, getting you don't talk oxy- about terraforming oxygen and carbon dioxide and nitrogen into the ah, air. Yes. So the process of terraforming can't happen on Earth because it's an incredibly violent thing. You have to do really violent things to the atmosphere, like akin to a nuclear winter. Oh, don't worry. Hang around, Dan. We might be doing that. Not long to wait. <laughs> that might happen. It won't surprise either of you to uh, learn that I have not seen the film The Martian. Isn't that what happens in it? Yeah, there's a lot of terraforming. There's a lot of business with potatoes uh, that is not so much covered in the film, but there is... Sure, it's not called The Irish. No, indeed. <laughs> there are chapters on uh, and chapters about potatoes. There are more chapters about potatoes than there are um, mentioned of open sandwiches in the girl with the dragon tattoo there are th- there's a lot about potatoes in uh in the the book the martian oh my god i'm stuck on i'm stuck on the, the old mars there it's very warm and red thank you so much john i thought i was bad at accents but now i have some comfort to know <laughs> that you are as bad so i said no i'm totally totally thinking that we'll probably survive this whole uh climate change malarkey anyway because all the people that really do stuff 
and we're not talking about governments, we're talking about major corporations, they're not stupid. They've worked out a way. They've worked out that it's happening. Like um, Shell and stuff are diversifying. What they're planning on doing, what we're trying to work out is they're gambling that they can uh, stop doing oil at the exact right point to maximise their profits. I think it's funny that the hardened socialist is waiting for capitalism to save us. Capitalism. Uh, Danny, as you will well know, is a pervasive system and we cannot exist outside it until we defeat it. Yeah, but I just got a new iPhone. You, you, iPhones for all under communism, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's too good for the workers. How will I know that I'm better than someone else because I've got an iPhone and they've got an Android? I mean, well, you just have to be, you have to work harder and then you can prove that you're better and we'll build a statue to you. Well, speaking as we were of gardening, Eric Bartlett is Trisha McMillan's gardener. Uh, she being the Trisha who never became the Trillion that we know. He's the kind of person who doesn't hold with things like, for example, people coming in from New York first thing in the morning. Danny, have you had any neighbour trouble? My my earliest memory of neighbour trouble is when I was about 10. Um, I live in the house uh, with my mum, as, as you do when you're 10. Um, and we had a balloon that we'd got from Cannon Hill Party in the Park BR&B something. And it was quite a big balloon, but it, bear in mind... It was a balloon. <laughs> now, this balloon, as balloons do, floats over into the next garden and oh. um, land, lands in the garden. Oh. The, the next door neighbour, completely proportionately, phones the police. <laughs> and the police come round. Now, did he ring the police? I'd say here, I don't know. Did, did the, did the neighbour ring the police out of fear for their life? Like, there is there there is a helium thing that's just come over like or was it like this is disgraceful uh this thing is invading my airspace do you know like how big was this balloon how big was it was it was Per Lindstrom and uh Richard Branson inside it <laughs> okay it was about four foot a long thin, thin tube of a balloon that had BRMB written on it. So maybe you just hated BRMB. Uh, for, for those who are wondering, BRMB used to be a local radio station. Do you remember when they used to be local radio stations? Now, kids, remember, uh, stations <laughs> used to exist that were local. And, um, and, and yes, and uh, Arthur Dent used to work for one. So this is, um, I, it's an interesting leap you've made here, Mark, because um, I'm, there's nothing in the thing that says uh, Eric lived next door to Tricia. No. He's a, he's a, what, what he is, he's a minor sitcom character of four. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas the neighbor, which you've introduced, is your major sitcom foil. Mm. So, um, I was, I was actually trying to think about the, I mean, gardeners sometimes, Lady Chatterley's lover and all that, but I'm not suspecting anything like that went on. But <laughs> I was saying that in the, in your sitcom, you've got, uh, your, your, your conventional sitcom, the neighbour is the main protagonist, the main irritant mm-hmm. for your main character. But I was just thinking, no, surely they're always happening in sitcoms. And all the sitcoms I could think of, everybody actually quite likes their neighbour. So you'd think you'd go, right, sitcom, what we need to create is conflict. And they do, they do it, they do it, they, they always, they, that's something they completely miss. So I'm going to pitch uh, a, a, a sitcom probably. And I think... Um, well, maybe uh, someone a bit like Danny can be in it. Just goes around kicking the. Uh, you, would, you would not be the main character, Danny. You'd be the. You'd be the. Uh, uh, most, I'd be Fonz. I'd be Fonz. Yes, Fonz. That'd be me. Mostly off-screen protagonist, who is a, a conflict generator. I've always took comfort in. Um, you know the the old saying that um, 
everybody is the hero in their own story when everybody's writing the narrative in their mind they're always that they always cast themselves as the hero no one's always. the villain I've always liked to think of myself as the funs, like a side character in somebody <laughs> else's story. Like, there's a lot of pressure that leaves you then. Like, you don't have to do anything heroic or even that dynamic. You just have to turn up occasionally and look cool, which that sounds like me. I'm good, I'm good with that, yeah. That's why you identify with the likes of Ford and Zayfler. I don't have, I don't have the emotional depth for anything else. Let me tell you a story. It's 8.30, you're on the bus making your way to work, and you reach the end of a podcast. With terror, you look down at your phone, only to be confronted with the realisation you're at the end of your playlist. There are no more podcasts. As your ears adjust to the tinny racket of the adolescent grimecore house jams being pumped out of the tiny, tinny speaker behind you, you think, if only I had something else to listen to. Fear not! As we here at Beware of the Leopard have got your back. Every week we recommend an incredible audiobook for you to check out, recommended by people who like the same kind of stuff you do. But of course, you already know that the best place to get an audiobook is from Audible, and that if you were to visit, say, audibletrial.com slash leopard, you'd be able to sign up for their service, which saves you money, because, let's face it, audiobooks ain't cheap. Uh, and you'll get a free copy of our latest recommendation, which, uh, incidentally, is The Crow Road by Ian Banks. And frankly, any book whose blurb starts with It was the day my grandmother exploded has to be worth a listen. So don't be that fool on the bus, head dulled by the constant of somebody else's terrible music taste. Head to audibletrial.com slash leopard, start your free trial, and get a free audiobook as a reward. Also... You'll help support our little show. And now, let's get the hell out of here. The Escapo Buggy is a tiny cigar-shaped escape pod used by Ford Prefect when leaving the ship orbiting Sassafras Magna. I have a slight aversion from the convention of putting O in the middle of words to make them sound like products, much in the way that in the 90s we added the suffix tron and then a number like 2000. John, this um, does crop up a lot in the books. Uh, am I being unfair? No, you're not, Mark. This is completely fair. Um, it's 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 good, though. I like it because it's... Um, so it's the 2000 thing really sticks in my mind because from about 1980, you started seeing things called something 2000. Um, you may remember Apollo 2000, gas and electrical superstores. You might remember if you were in uh, Boom City Centre on Hill Street in the 90s, you might remember Kebab 2000. Um, who, uh, oh, so it's about 2000, yeah. Right, so it's it's the equivalent now of, we. Tr- I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, chicken.com. Oh, God, yeah, but what, obviously there wasn't a website not to be... Um, uh there on it was on the yeah on th- it was on it was on thread i think that was but uh yes the, uh, oh thank but, you but it was um yeah yeah no completely this 2000 that 2000 and then as you got towards um the year 2000 people started tweeting thinking about that uh and apollo 2000 didn't change the name they went bust but and kebab 2000 got knocked down i think but everything started to become millennium and i don't believe but people haven't changed that one i don't believe there's a town in England that doesn't have a, a minicab firm called Millennium Cars. Mm. They're all there's one everywhere, and uh, 
Um, the only thing I can think of is that maybe Millennium doesn't stand for the year they were founded. It stands for the uh, time they'll take to actually arrive after they've told you they're just around the corner. <laughs> uh, I've been working on that. But, um, Taxes, what are they all about? <laughs> it's also about how words become mimetic and stuff. So it's, it's, it's lovely. Round by us, there's a, a Windows company. Oh, I don't know, because Windows companies don't tend to have shops or whatever. But they're, um, there's a van advertising it and they're called lottery windows so what was the idea so if you won the lottery you would um yeah you would you would get these windows because they're really fucking expensive no that's not (laughs) a good idea is it a lottery whether or not they turn up is it a lottery whether the windows are any good is it a lottery whether or not you can see through them i don't know it's just it's a terrible terrible name and if i wasn't so scared of tradesmen i would have knocked on his van and told him (laughs) This week, uh, I thought we might look at fan fiction. Uh, as a work of sci-fi, Hitchhikers is obviously no stranger to fan and slash fiction, so I was curious to know whether you chaps have read any or even written fan fiction of any stripe before. Do you want to tell him what you like? Well, no, I, I, I know why you can't. I know it's a it's a very boring technical reason why we can't find it. The, okay, from the start, the story is that we were... Um, and my girlfriend at the time, we were at university, and she was really into Harry Potter. And she was really into, like, fan fiction. And part of fan fiction is slash fiction. So slash fiction, for people that don't know, is, um, I don't know, the, the classic example is Star Trek. So this is fan fiction, Kirk slash uh, Spock, get it on. So anytime there is a, a pairing within that fan fiction, um, people writing their own version of any story... Uh, it's called slash because there's a slash. There's normally a sla- slash in the middle, and that's how you find it, and that's how you know what's going on. Okay, so I found out about this and thought it was hilarious, and she was like, "No, actually, some of it's quite well written." I was like, "No, it's not. That'd be a piece of piss to write because you just you get in for an audience, and that uh, that audience only reads Harry Potter, and Harry Potter isn't that well written, so anybody could do that." Wow, throwing shade at, at I'm going to say it. JK Rowling. Also, at the same time, I was discovering these people called Otherkin. Bear with me. Otherkin are basically people that believe, you know how transsexuals believe that they are a female born in a male body or a male born in a female body? Otherkin are people that believe that they are um, some sort of animal or um, mystical creature that was born in a human body. And they all have their own kind of um, corners of the internet, like there are there are people that believe that they are they are vampires born in a human body. The people that believe, as quite a large number of them that believe that they were dragons born in the form of humans. Now, before you continue, I just want to I I, I want to kind of make the point that we all know as as I hate using the word now because it's become whatever, but as woke individuals, um, that Danny is not equating. Um, transsexualism which is a real thing and a thing that you can be with thinking you're an animal which is not oh, a thing that you can oh, be. Oh absolutely absolutely that was just a convenient way of describing that and, and I would be quite passionate for the audience to know that I am not equating those things also. Uh, so my girlfriend said okay write some slash fiction fan fiction but from an other kin point of view. So uh, they went out and bought me a bottle of wine, and I set a computer and I read. Uh, I wrote a 
particularly graphic story about a school bully that gets fucked to death by a guy that's turning into a dragon at the time. So I put this out there, and at the next bloggers meet where um, me and John were talking, um, I I let on that this happened, and uh, he read it, and we got to talking about slash fiction, and we decided there was no political slash fiction. So me and John, mostly egged on by John, if my memory serves me correctly. Uh, it was my idea, but you did most of right. We wrote political slash fiction about the Millard Band Brothers. <laughs> Milliband on milliband action. Because the, the thing about slash fiction is there's quite a lot of um, received tension from the actual canon stories. So this is fans projecting um, tension onto situations. Dramatic tension and sexual tension. Yes, yeah, so sexual tension onto situations that aren't necessarily there. Yep. So we just projected some sexual tension on... No, it bloody was there. It bloody was there. <laughs> Unfortunately, we stuck it on a posterous blog, and posterous has gone to the wind now, and yeah. so not a copy remains. Thank, thank heavens, because it was particularly graphic. Apart from that, actually, that was the only piece of fanfiction I'd ever read until I knew this topic was coming up today. Hmm. Um, so I went on um, uh, fanfiction.net, uh, is it? Um, yeah. Where it all goes. So I searched something I might be interested in, interesting and i found uh yes it exists for almost anything you could care about rule 34 so i was actually uh, finding um i was actually read this afternoon some heidi high fan fiction oh, amazing <laughs> amazing not slash that is fiction. the nexus of, of of everything that is john oh, I not, love it. not slash not slash oh not that slash. is a shame well not the bit i wrote i'm sure it exists yeah uh but it was i wrote a, a small christmas story about uh Mr. Partridge, the children's entertainer, getting drunk and falling into the Christmas tree. Uh, oh, yeah, just the fact that it existed was um, yes, and, and I did be way before I knew this sort of thing existed. I did wrote, I did once write a, a pitch for a sequel to the Italian Job, which now probably ends up in the can in the uh, the canon of um, fan fiction. Mm. But are you guys ready for this? Um, because I, I was wondering, I was reading it, I was reading all this stuff, and I read a bit of Heidi High stuff, and a bit of Yes Minister stuff, and a bit of Terry and June stuff. And I just thought, it's not very well written, is it? So I was wondering if it could be done well. So I wrote a little bit of Hitchhiker's fan fiction. Oh, now this makes me very excited. It's quite short, it's only about 300 words, but would you like okay. me to read it? Oh, very much. Given the infinite expanse of the universe, where everything that can exist does exist, it was not perhaps inevitable, but certainly possible, that an Englishman who wanted to would eventually find a planet where there was a ready supply of something almost exactly like tea. Arthur sat down in the cafe, removed his cup from his bag. He'd picked it up on Deuteronomus Alpha. It wasn't bone china, but he liked it. The picture on the side reminded him of the hills outside his house on Earth, even though it was no doubt really something else, some being from a planet he hadn't heard of. Can I have what he's having? said Arthur to the waiter, who was humanoid but slightly too blue for complete comfort. A gin and tonics? Of course, sir, said the waiter. And may I have it in this? Arthur handed the cup over. The waiter smiled. Arthur didn't know if it was a genuine smile 
or an eye-rolling smile of courtesy like he'd once got for complaining that his pample moves was just a grapefruit. It could, of course, been another expression that the Babelfish, great as it was at language, couldn't help with. It didn't really matter to Dent. He felt out of place everywhere. To Arthur, it tasted good. He felt the heat hit the back of the throat. He let the slight grittiness roll on his tongue. He wasn't sure that it was refreshing, but it was better than he'd had in years. The waiter hovered expectantly, so Arthur told him that it was just what he'd been looking for. I'm glad, sir, said the waiter. It's not often we get an alien willing to try our planet's speciality. Halfway through a new gulp, Arthur paused. He held the liquid in his mouth, hamster-like. He smiled and nodded. His eyes didn't. Exquisite though it is, the urine of our mega-brew oak house is an acquired taste. Arthur held on, unsure of whether having swallowed the liquid would be worse and continuing to taste it longer than necessary. Especially warm and fresh like that. Very good. There's some definite Adam's cadence in that, though. I, th- I suspect you did better than Ian Kofer. Was that, was that <laughs> Owen Colfer? Owen Colfer did. It, I think he did a decent job, actually. Um, to be to be have fair, it, but have I, not read them. It, it, does he have the cadence? Uh, he. I think he does a decent job. Yeah, it's not. It's not far off. You could lose yourself in it. And now this. Evening classes are little pills you can take to which Lintilla introduces Arthur and the second radio series. They're part of the weird lifestyle of artificial enhancement and disadvantage she's party to. We're all familiar with the Matrix, I know Kung Fu trope. Um, I'm not, actually. No, you've, well, okay. Never seen it, sorry. (laughs) But this is the first time I'd ever encountered knowledge in edible form. Danny, would you take an evening class pill or is the work involved in gaining knowledge all part of the experience? Basically, I'm asking, are you all about the chase? Nah. Right? Okay, so knowledge in edible form. What do you think mushrooms are, dude? They are, as Bill Hicks said, they're a hot button for our evolution. They are, they are <laughs> here to give us, give us knowledge of other worlds, to allow us to experience ego death, to allow us to experience something other. And, but if you're talking about strictly technology, then I can't wait until I can plug something into the back of my head and know like how to fly a plane or whatever. Like, yeah, I know some people are, like, really squeamish about it, but I'm all for transhumanism. I'm all for being able to stuff stuff in my brain. I am so down. Like, um, in William Gibson's Neuromancer, there's people that have, like, um, ports in the back of their head where they can slot in, like, um, transparent microfiches or, or whatever, and they suddenly know the layout of a building. I am so down for that. At a very basic level, a book is this little pill isn't it because you don't have to go through the you don't have to learn everything that the the author the researcher has um gone to learn you you read the book and that yeah and now there are things like blink list uh which exist that enable you to basically inhale books very quickly so you can get the gist of a book summarized for you in um 15 minutes and you can also play it at 1.5 speed and game the system even more Before we finish, we've got a couple of similarly titled books to address. 
The first is everything you always wanted to know about guilt, but were too ashamed to ask. It's another work by Ulon Kalufid. John, what could this book teach us? How to avoid guilt or maybe how to thrust it upon others? I don't know. Guilt is a weird emotion, isn't it? I was um, thinking about it, that it sits halfway between an emotion and a sin, um, sort of philosophically, which is interesting to me. I think we could take a, uh, a few tips um, from the animal kingdom. Now, uh, you know how cats are not at all guilty about anything? They don't care. To take the difference between this airplane food, what is what about? The difference between cats and dogs. <laughs> cats, they be like. And dogs, they be all like. <laughs> yeah, well, you, I, don't know, I don't know if you spent a lot of time with dogs, but if a dog has done something bad, you can ask a dog what they've done. Yeah. And they will be genuinely ashamed of something yes. bad. Did, did you do that? Did you do that? You can't do that to a cat. To be honest, this is quite a difficult question for me. And I was randomly searching the internet because I don't, I, I, because actually I believe, I, I'm not sure that guilt is not a very good emotion that keeps us in, in check. So is guilt the thing going, oh, I shouldn't have done that? Well, it's not shouldn't have. It's, 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 re, it's remorse, really, isn't it? It's, it's kind of the kind of guilt we're talking about, I think, is, is closer to remorse. Okay, so what's that? Yeah, this is this is this might sail over your head. Um, so it's I I did a thing and it made someone upset and I feel bad now that they were upset and and I wish I hadn't done that because because they were upset not because they were upset and they shouted at me not because they shouted at me but because I upset that person. But you get that for a minute and then you decide fuck them like you decide oh well they kind of deserved it or. Sure. When, 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 yeah. If you can, if you can tell us how to do that, then that would be great. So there are healthy, there are healthy ways to talk about this. There's this thing that people say that um, if you remember something that was really bad, uh, and if it was with someone that loves you, they don't care. And if it was someone that doesn't love you, fuck, fuck them. Yeah. (laughs) But that doesn't. It doesn't necessarily work because you've still done something shitty or you perceived to be shitty. Yeah, this is, this is genuinely <laughs> alien to Danny. <laughs> I regret doing things. I have I have some regrets. That's that's yeah. a, that's not enough to not enough to tell us about that. <laughs> and from that uh, we move to this. Everything you wanted to know about sex but have been forced to find out is another Kalufid masterwork. It's twinned with Eccentrica Galumbit's Big Bang book from last week. So, to close us out with taste and decency, Danny, what's one thing you never wanted to know about sex but have been forced to find out? Okay, so I'm, I've been a connoisseur of like weirdly named sex acts, but recently been um, trying, trying to make myself more woke, as it were. They all... Uh, they all of, uh, appear to be quite abusive and quite um, misogynistic. Um, so I have I have trawled the internet further for ones that aren't necessarily misogynistic or uh, are terrible, uh, which there are a few. And I've also left out the scatological ones because I don't want to hear Mark go, oh, no, no, and then inevitably cut it out anyway. Okay, right. So what do you think? Fingers on buzzers. What do you think a ball? Fingers on, that's fingers one of the on, sex acts. Fingers on something. What do you think a ball koozie is? You have to heat them to about thirty degrees C, and then make them go all fizzy. Yeah, is it like motor boating but with balls? Actually, guys, you, you've pretty much got it. Basically, it's when you get a bottle of warm water and you dip your sack into it, 
and the woman gets a straw and blows bubbles into the water, thus giving your balls a ball koozie. That's almost whimsical. I'm ramping up. <laughs> so can anyone guess what a David Blowy is? Is that when you blow someone who's got one eye that's a different colour from the other one? Close. It's when it's it's when somebody dresses up from Jared from Labyrinth and gives you a blowjob. <laughs> nothing, nothing, tra la la. <laughs> Does anyone know what worming is? Is it when you play the meek game together and then you just go to bed? Worming is the sexual act of licking another person's eyeball. Eyeball. Yes. Well, how does the name even come from? That? I don't know. I, I, mm. I haven't experienced this. It feels a little bit like a worm. You think that's the etymology of it? I think I'm, that, that's what that's more interesting. Than the actual sex act is where the words come from. Uh, I've got I've got a last one, and this is maybe the most whimsical. <laughs> what is the etch a sketch? I'm going for this. You get you grab both one in each hand, right, and you twist <laughs> them in different directions. <laughs> uh, oh, the nipples! No? Nipples! Yeah, no, that's exactly it. It's when nipple you twisting. Sit- it's when yeah. you sit on your partner's chest and twist their nipples in different directions, hoping to draw a picture on their face. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we draw a veil under this episode. John, whereabouts on the internet can people find you, should they wish to, and should you wish to be found? I have this week. You know John Lewis adverts? Oh, yes. I know where this is going, and I'm excited. This very morning, I have attempted to make a bot that... Uh, generates uh, the songs that go in the background of John Lewis adverts. Uh, so if you want to follow it on Twitter, it's at John Lewis Covers. And uh, it's a nice intro to Christmas for everybody. Very topical at this time of year. Yeah, to bring to bring anyone up to speed who isn't aware and, and to, to fully um, to fully enjoy the joke, John Lewis, big department store here in the UK. Every year now for the last few years, they've done they've released a heartwarming Christmas ad, usually featuring an animal and a small child, and the music is invariably a um, uh, manic pixie dream girl singing a cover of a popular song from the nineties or the noughties or the or the eighties, uh, covered in a very plinky plonky singy songy style. Um, I think last year was a weird one because they covered a Keen song, um, which you know is fine. Uh, and so that that's sort of what what's happening now is that effectively John is um, helping to write the uh, John Lewis marketing strategy for the next sort of twenty years. Well, I've set it a, a song every ten minutes, which uh, will extend it far into the future. Lovely, uh, Danny. What, what about you? I'm on Twitter at probably drunk. Um, yeah, find me there. If I'm doing anything, I'll, I'll probably squirt it out in that. And that just about wraps it up for the leopard. Uh, do get in touch to share your thoughts. All the links you'll need are at btlpodcast.com. Take a breath, along with all of our past episodes and show notes. You can email us uh, via feedback at btlpodcast.com. And do find us on Twitter and Facebook. Do. Thanks again to Audible for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to pick up your free copy of The Crow Road and start your 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash leopard. And if you've enjoyed the show, do tell a friend. We'll be back next Thursday, so until then, share and enjoy.
Welcome to Beware of the Leopard, a podcast, a pods, podcast. Right. The human torch was denied a bank loan. <laughs> Fuck off. I was taking a drink then, you bastard. I wish I would have a drink then. <laughs> oh, and then my nasal cavity's all beery. <laughs>